tonight our focus is on the suffering substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus Christ and our entire attention tonight is directed to towards seeing Jesus's willingness to go to the cross and seeing his willingness to die as a substitute for sin in the place of all who believe. If you're part of the CCF family, you know that for months now, every Sunday morning, we have been making our way systematically through Luke, one section at a time. And tonight, I want to pick up on the next four verses that we would come to in the book of Luke But rather than preaching through all the details like we normally do, kind of taking each verse and unpacking that verse and applying that verse and seeking to understand it, what I want to do is is I want to read the verses here in Luke chapter 18 and make a couple of comments. But because these verses in Luke 18 are so saturated with Jesus being the hope of Old Testament prophecy... And Jesus being the answer that the entire Old Testament is preparing us for. Uh, What I want to do is to spend most of our time together reading through the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Helping to understand what it is Jesus' crucifixion really means. There are people all around the world today who are celebrating the death of Jesus on the cross, who are remembering the fact that a historical man named Jesus suffered and died on the cross. And yet millions of them have never embraced the reason Jesus died on the cross. And so what we want to do tonight is not just focus on the historical reality that a man named Jesus, a Jew, was crucified around the year 30-ish AD and suffered and died on the cross. We want to make theological and biblical sense of that by seeing how the cross is actually what the Old Testament is pointing us towards and the New Testament is pointing us back to. My hope is... That we would see how these verses about Jesus' suffering and death connect with the rest of the Bible. How how it fills out the Bible's storyline. And so let me pray that God would help us. And then I'm going to read our text here in Luke chapter 18 beginning in verse 31. Father, tonight is is a solemn night. And it's a good night because we remember the willing death of your son, Jesus, on the cross for our sin. And that would seem horrendous, it would seem terrible if we didn't understand what you clearly reveal to us in scripture that Jesus willingly went to the cross for a purpose greater than just dying, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and scorned its shame, and he did not stay in the ground, but three days later rose from the dead, 
through your Father resurrecting power and now is seated at your right hand ruling and reigning. And so we can say that this is truly a good Friday. The best Friday. Because the eternity of all who trust in you hinges on the cross and on the empty tomb. And so, Father, I can think of no better way for us to remember and and think about and reflect on the cross tonight than to look at your holy, inspired, inerrant word. The things of this world will pass away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but your word endures forever. So would you, please, Lord, would you take your word through the power of your Holy Spirit, and would you teach us? I pray that you, even as your word is being proclaimed tonight, you would be opening blind eyes. You would be transplanting hearts. That even in this room or watching online, there would be those who, who see for the very first time your glory and their need and the wonder of the gospel, the joy of the gospel that we can be forgiven, that we can be justified, that we can be adopted, that we can be sanctified, and that one day we can and will be glorified. So, Father, do your work now for the glory of your name and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 31. And taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spat upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Jesus is preparing his followers for what is about to take place. He's trying to prepare them for the fact that very soon he will be arrested. And he will be tried and he will be beaten. And he will be led to a hill called Golgotha and he will be crucified. He will be executed there as a common criminal. But that later, in fact, on the third day, Jesus says, he will rise from the dead. And this is what Good Friday is all about. It's about Jesus' crucifixion. It's about his substitutionary death in the place of all who believe. But notice, Jesus says that this will not happen randomly or unexpectedly. In fact, if you notice in verse 31, Jesus says, everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. 
And so to understand what Jesus is talking about, we need to go back and we need to understand why there is a need for a cross. Why there's a need for a savior. Why there's a need for a substitutionary sacrifice in the place of all who believe. And then we need to see what was written about the one who would come. The one who would accomplish salvation for his own. And so if we go all the way back to the very beginning before time existed, John helps us by telling us that in the beginning was the word, which is his code word for Jesus, the Logos. And the word, Jesus, was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made might sound a lot like Genesis chapter 1, which recounts for us the beginning of our world and the universe and the existence that we can see around us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And lest we think that the only reason God deserves glory and honor and praise is because of his saving work, We are reminded in scriptures like Psalm 113 that the Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and on the earth. In God in love and grace, not because he was lonely, but because he willed to do so, created all things, even humanity. And then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. But as we know, things are not as they were originally created. They are not all very good. And the Bible tells us how that happened. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, Oh, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened 
you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that it was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Unless we think that sin's effects were just for Adam and Eve Scripture is clear that therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet even in the garden, God began to pull the curtain back on his plan to rescue a people for his own glory. Not because he had to. Not because that was the just or fair thing to do. But God in grace, mercifully motivated by love and a desire for his own glory, began to reveal his rescue plan. Even in the very chapter that recounts humanity's rebellion against God, we begin to hear the faint drumbeat of the rescuer who would come. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed Are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field? And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Already we see that an offspring singular of the woman would come and would crush the seed of the serpent. That he would be wounded. He would be bruised for our iniquity. But a bruise to the heel is not a fatal blow. Like a crush to the head. And as the Old Testament unfolded and generations passed, God continued to reveal more details of this one, this Messiah, who would come and bruise the head or crush the head of the enemy forever. For example, the prophet Isaiah, writing 700 years before the birth of Jesus, writes about the Messiah to come with these words. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised 
and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, and yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed And he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generations, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, and they shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteousness, and he shall bear their iniquities." And therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. 700 years before Jesus' birth, the Holy Spirit led Isaiah to write those words about the Messiah to come. And he did come. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. He came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. We heard about that even tonight, didn't we? About Jesus' arrest, about his torture by the Romans, about his betrayal by the very people he came to save. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha. They offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it and they crucified him. Dividing his garments among them and casting lots for them to decide what each should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. 
And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. As Taylor read a moment ago, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. But the Bible also interprets for us what all of that even means. Not merely that a man willingly suffered and died on the cross. The Bible interprets that theologically for us. For example, Galatians 3.13 tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, although perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You might be wondering, well, how, how do we get in on that? I realize tonight I am a sinner in need of a Savior. What must I do to be saved? In Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is Messiah, that he is God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no fine print. No asterisk. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so our anthem, for those who have confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in our heart that God raised him from the dead, our anthem is these very words from Ephesians chapter 2. We were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up 
with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Why? How did that happen? Because he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And so gathered with Jesus' followers here in Luke 18, Jesus is preparing them for what is to come, his death, but also for his resurrection, all according to plan, so that God's purposes in being glorified through salvation might be accomplished. And because Jesus willingly went to the cross and suffered and died, and because he rose again from the dead, all of us who trust in him by faith tonight are saved. We have an inheritance. We have a hope. We have a future. We have salvation now and salvation for all eternity with Jesus Christ our Lord.